happy new year, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so, greetings from my desk with too many books on it now. Um, so, yeah, we're in January 2022's tarot offering, which is called Emptiness, Control, and the Sun. Um, and the scheme I'll be going through is insufficient self-control. Uh, first, I want to say thank you to Marcelina Urbanska. Um, she's a rad tattoo artist and she did the cover art for this month's podcast, which is Akali and is crazy. So you should look at it. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, and my quote for the month is from Understanding Alistair Crowley's Thoth Tarot uh, by Lon Milo Duquette. When the questioner comes face to face with the real query, they already know in their heart what the real answer is. So this month I want to set science free, whilst also exploring a deeper relationship to our beliefs by thawing out the cold a bit and talk about the sun as well as the Hindu goddess of destruction and rebirth, Kali. I will also be burrowing into patterns of insufficient self-control through Jeff Vandermeer's book Annihilation. Writer Shirley Jackson has written that even larks and katydids dream, and that no live organism can continue for long to exist sanely under conditions of absolute reality. In South and East Asian religions, beliefs are a matter of faith, something that is felt within not a formula of things to get right or you don't win the prize which is, you know, Zen, Nirvana, Transcendence whatever you like to call the times where you are guided by a sense of calm and intuition In a lecture with Rupert Sheldrake on the nature of consciousness in which he describes Western yoga culture as a prostration of Indian yoga culture, turning the sacred into science, the resistive band that often snaps the modern human back into the fortress of their own solitude, into a doctrine of scientific and therapeutic principles. making belief or turning belief into equations, diluting or erasing meaning. This science of the mind. He further states that Dharma in the West has been rebranded into Buddha dogma. In short, thinking too much about thinking isn't getting anyone any closer to being calm, content to an extent, and focused when need be. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do studies on it, I'm just saying thinking too much is a real thing in modern society. Anyway, Sheldrake puts forward 
that Buddhism engages with the traditions of cultures it bumps into and speaks through them. It doesn't try to take a business, factory, setting type of system and control every aspect. The Emperor. Something as simple as a sun salutation in yoga, Buddhist rituals, is the act of physically bowing to thank the sun. Something that all our lives depend on. This is totally not a thing in Western culture, in which magic plus faith can be collateral damage in the wake of modern science. Something to belittle or mock most of the time. The ego's way of shunning what we already know. <laughs> the sun is poetry, the art of describing what cannot be said. And art can sometimes be exactly the ticket out of a lifetime's worth of harmful habitual patterns. Speaking of ways out, after talking with my therapy mentor about relapsing last week, we discussed paying attention to my behaviours, CBT style, Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, uh, CBT is short for, and we'll discuss in the next session why I sometimes renaissance dance into self-destructive habitual loops. So I thought about how psyche is made up of fantasy images, of memory wrestling with fact and fantasy. Because the road to recovery is whatever we imagine it to look like. Recovery is whatever we say it is. And if you've ever had to give something up or atone or whatever, something where you may have felt shame, pain, rage, trauma, then you'll know that the more you linger on certain thoughts, the more a series of images usually harmful in a rude way, unhelpfully bombard your inner space. Around four years ago, I was sitting in a park in Whitechapel, after a dazing loss that for reasons I couldn't logically offer, pulled me apart, deeper than anything I'd ever known. I sat on the grass with a can of cider and contemplated suicide pretty deeply. Sharp, brutal images of a terrible future filling my brain up like a wee transfer file. I couldn't stop thinking about what I'd lost, retracing remnants and fragments of memories for a semblance of dignity and order, some rationality. I didn't want to understand much less except I wanted to keep retracing. I wanted to get lost, to play things backwards and fix them, feel them again. I also really do not like cider for the record, so not sure what I was playing at that day. I can't articulate exactly why. But instead of, you know, actually dying, I broke out of that pattern of thinking by writing an email to get a Kali tattooed at a tattoo shop nearby. Actually, it was a demon, but it got changed into a Kali at the last minute. The faint feeling of power to pick a different pattern of thinking bled its way in through symbolism, 
but very, very slowly. Like the arcanum in the tarot, disrobing their meanings, only when I was ready to know. Only when I accepted that I had to ask different questions. And here's the kicker. And realistically expect different things. Slow dancing with fate, not stealing or forcing it. Sometimes I joke about how tattoos and the tarot saved me. So I guess I'll try to find something just as dark to talk about. <laughs> so let's start talking about Alistair Crowley. Apparently one of the most evil men in the world, but he was a rather intelligent chap. Something you might... something? <laughs> Someone you might want to have a coffee and a conversation with about the meaning of existence and other mind-bending things. Crowley recognised in the images, symbols and structure of tarot a unified theory of inextinguishable universal patterns, an illustrated map of the soul integrating the essence of the Western mysteries. It can be one of the most alluring aspects of the tarot, and perhaps the reason we associate it with telling of fates, predicting the outcome of circumstances, and so on and so forth. Upon first glance of the devil card from the Pamela Coleman Smith illustrations, we can sense a feeling of being trapped, stuck, weighted to some heavy, dark imagery. In the card there are two people with chains around their neck, but these chains, as we can see, as we may well know ourselves, can be easily removed. Or simply, I want to say simply, not easily, because something simple is not the same as something being easy. Anyway, um, something hard for a lot of people with addictions to get used to is being comfortable and trusting others. Though many still fantasize frequently about deeper or more connection with others. Addictive methods to banish all elements of pain from one's emotional state exercises a resistance to come to terms with life's imperfections. This only deepens our sadness over time. Nothing we cling to can remain the same. Clinging comes from pain. As for people in our dreams, Sigmund Freud believed that in this realm, humans were disguises for instinctual processes the place our minds get carnal and breed personalised versions of angels and devils. Carl Jung has said of images, something along the lines of, the fundamental facts of our existence are comprised of fantasy images, akin to the psyche. All consciousness is dependent on these images. Every idea of the mind, every sensation of the body, our perception of the world, our beliefs, feelings, hungers, submitting themselves as images in order for us to experience them. So the narrative around these symbols is very important. In keeping with evoking fantastical imagery, I reread Jeff Vandermeer's Annihilation this month in order to immerse myself into a cerebral 
sort of swords kind of energy there narrative a cerebral narrative that mines into the emotional guts so emotional i would describe as cup soup uh so the emotional guts of this month's schema because we must feel a difference not just think about it to change habits that die hard and i know i keep saying in like almost every offering like we need to feel it we can't just think it but yeah i mean Bessel van der Kolk in The Body Keeps the Score puts this perfectly, uh, which I talk about uh, that book extensively in one of my previous readings, which I believe was April or May. Um, the main character in the book is referred to as the biologist, and she definitely has a distorted VHS tape after a 1000 plays perspective of reality. She accepts a mission with three other women into uncharted human ter territory, Area X. A psychologist, surveyor, and an anthropologist. There was a fifth, a linguist, but she got cold feet the night before. And those who had gone before them, the ones who had returned from previous missions, including the biologist's husband, were completely unable to relate the specifics of that journey to another soul. They lost control of time, memory, what they saw, how they felt and interpreted it. In this environment, the biologist carries the same behavioural patterns with her into Area X. She continuously breaches agreed upon boundaries around her. She lies she cheats, she withholds, she doesn't really connect to anyone, she interacts but doesn't fully embrace others socially, overflowing with uncanny Lovecraftian-esque imagery, the book pushes beneath reality, into a cataclysmic void that somehow drops us into the yoke of the human condition. It explores a bewildering journey into the unknown territory. Every plant, animal and habitat behave strangely. The throbbing, sliming pulse of human instinct, copulating with curiosity, to be able to record whatever the it is, to mine data from the surroundings and personal journals left behind from previous exploration teams, the journals are dashed carelessly aside on the floor, suggestive of each notebook being an almost trivial pursuit at recording the human experience. But there is a moment when the biologist talks with the psychologist about reading the journals, mouthing the human necessity to replicate, to share, to leave traces of our experiences over and over. And technology? or at least the kind that we are used to is absolutely useless in Area X. The biology much prefers this, which is testament to her solitary inner nature. She doesn't want to communicate with other people. She actively tries to avoid it most of the time. Annihilation asks, what if we don't want to be part of anything else? What if we want to explode and become something that cannot be replicated or known in the context of time 
or scientific inquiry. The star. Vandermeer blends the jarring haze of a surreal environment with the biologist's personal estrangement from her husband. A link broken that can never be melded back together. The irrevocable changes in the heart where adaptation becomes vital. Describing the biologist's love, biologist's love for her husband is just as tricky as trying to describe what breaking it feels like. A bit like Area X then. The book seduces the reader towards many questions, a fair few centred around the theme of self-destruction. This is a version of a tower moment, I guess we could say, self-destructive tendencies. The biologist describes an old affair she had in the past, and though she doesn't admit it to herself, it seems she pours herself into the unknown world to atone, to run, to find something else, to get him back, somehow, or perhaps to escape all pretense of structure. She doesn't admit it until the very end that she probably accepted the mission in search of a crumb, an answer, something from her husband. And I guess you ask, when did she really lose her husband and why was it? And why? Was it her mind or his or both? Was it just the way it was meant to be? Love literally do be like that sometimes, and it does hurt. Uh, something a tarot reader said to me once in a tarot reading, uh, which made me cry, <laughs> was that love is so bittersweet. <laughs> Is having an affair a natural progression, mutation, reaction? How we channel our energy and what we want interacts with the patterns and outcomes we constantly create. Is change, adaptation, an addiction to a particular pattern, annihilation? So that's a big question, and it can't be digested in one go, so don't. <laughs> Let's escape from modern horror, sci-fi, literature, slash depth psychology world of annihilation and dip into Hindu mythology for this next part. The theory of instincts is our mythology. The sirens calls in the Odyssey crashing against the rocks. Our temptations calling for us. Our death instincts linked to the underworld and Hades, giving in to our temptations, Persephone and her pomegranate, Eve and the apple. These myths are all part of a patchwork quilt of images we conjure when dealing with pushing our psyches in and out of dark places. Speaking of dark places, let's get into the story of the goddess of destruction, death and rebirth. Kali for a thin minute. Kali was born from anger. Heavy, dripping, 
bleeding tongue. Scarcely able to discern good from bad, killing all demons, anything in her way really. Her clothing a hermetic emblem for destruction, a severed necklace of heads, a skirt from human arms, leaking and dangling as she walked, and to top it off, earrings constructed with parts from dead children. Nice. Like all stories, the plot differs slightly with each storyteller, but let's look at one version of Carly's past. Men and gods were being terrorised by Daruka, a demon with the power to destroy everything, who could only be killed by a woman, and Pavati was asked by the gods to get rid. She casually responded by jumping into Shiva's throat. For context, many years previously, Shiva had swallowed an earth-ending poison, which had risen from the churning of the ocean during the creation of the world. When Pavati leapt into the poisonous throat of Shiva, she never came back the same. The poison had turned her into Kali, her skin a bluish black, her eyes dark and deeper than ever before. Of course she was born from unimaginable darkness. As Kali erupted from Shiva's throat, she made a start on her outfit of body parts, brutally defeating Daruka, saving the world. She did not run away from the lethal poison. She did not take too much of it either. She confronted it and overcame many demons along the way. Back to Area X. Alex Garland, director of the film adaptation of Annihilation, has let it be well known that he became enthralled uh, whilst uh, making the film by the meaninglessness um, of destructive behaviours. Saying, people are dismantling their job, their friendships, their marriage. The biologist and her team in Annihilation are searching for entirely rational biological theories. And what's striking to me is how the characters' reactions were dependent upon estimations of what other people were thinking. The instinctive modification of behaviours to be more in alignment with a localised, unspoken, but silently agreed upon mode of perception toward this new area that supposedly was the only one that couldn't be controlled by humans. One of the first things the women on the mission discover is a mysterious tower or tunnel. Not everyone is agreed on how they see the tower. But the book is from the biologist's perspective, so I'll plough forward with that for now. And it's way more tarot. (laughs) The tower shouldn't have been there. But it was. And no one can forget it. Especially, it seems, the biologist. Why not go on the most dangerous exploration of your life instead of mourning marital issues? When we try to understand, by the way, that was a joke. Uh, When we try to, I mean, why not? I don't know. I'm not your maker, you know, do what you like. Um, (laughs) When we try to understand the reasons behind other people's motivations, it can be truly earth shattering. 
can be a truly earth-shattering task. And morph into an obsession we are seldom able to control. To go back to wrestling with fantasy images and how the psyche pushes itself forward with stories we continuously nurse and concoct. In last month's offering, I wrote about meaning and how we are an autopoetical dialectical system, not just a computational machine. We are built to react, interact, and remember. But we also have an instinct to explore, push boundaries, lose control, rebuild. And curiosity, as the biologist points out, is a powerful distraction. Lack of self-control is something I don't think anybody is immune to, whether we admit it to ourselves or not. I think one of the most interesting questions the book and the film made me ask was, what would gender be like in the future? How will we work together and synergize our energies? In Asian religious culture, the sun is masculine and the moon is feminine. But this changes, actually, from region to region. So maybe they can be both. And I kind of like the idea of that, you know. Anyway. Annihilation provokes visions of one losing control of everything. We thought we had, and going in search of new or distracting experiences. So much of the Adam and Eve story to me is about fighting and tricking our environment, about shaping it into something that provides us comfort and, again, new experiences. I think the book asks what is beyond what we have already created and what does it mean? It's saying, hey, (laughs) you have everything you could ever need but your mind convinces you that there's always more and you can never have enough. The biologist describes the team's descent into the tower like this. It was after a time pathological to keep searching the same area of the tower. But for almost an hour, we could not find a way to stop. We don't benefit from nice things if we've reduced their meaning to purely factual evidence. We tend to overthink, we worry, we try to predict, we think we can control everything. Explaining all seems only to distort and seek its destruction. So I'll end with some cheery words from one of the happiest men that ever lived, Charles Bukowski. Um, I walk through rooms of the dead, streets of the dead, cities of the dead, men without eyes, men without voices, men with manufactured feelings and standard reactions, 
Men with newspaper brains, television souls and high school ideas. To have allies, you must also learn yourself to be one. To yourself and then others. Thank you for reading. And yeah, see you next month. The schema will be subjugation. So yeah, thank you and take care, man.